Hey, this is Mike Neglia, and you're listening to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 38. Pretty much all of the past 37 episodes have focused on some aspect of sermons, either sermon preparation, sermon delivery, or, or some aspect of preaching. But I think we all know that communicating the Bible happens in more than just monological sermons. I think monological is a word. I'll look it up later on. <laughs> but, um, but, but we get God's word out and we study the Bible more than just through monologues. Um, of course, the focus of this podcast is about preaching. But I think it would be unwise to neglect interactive Bible studies as a way to communicate God's word and impact hearts and lives. And so for that reason, I sit down with Dr. Brian Tan, and we speak about what it means to lead a group of people in an interactive, multi-voiced conversation about a passage of scripture, and how do we keep it from rabbit trails, from false doctrine, or from wasting time, and how do we really maximize the impact that scripture can have on a group of people as they look into it together. Uh, Brian has a lot to teach us, and I trust that this conversation will be edifying to you. Um, One of the taglines of this podcast is we want to help you in your personal study and your public proclamation of scripture. And whether that public proclamation is on Sunday morning from a pulpit or Tuesday night on a couch, we really want to do all that we can to help you. So enjoy this conversation and I'll talk to you at the end about the Expositors Collective training weekend that's coming up in April in San Diego. Hi, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. Uh, I'm here with Dr. Brian Tan. How are you? Good, good. It's good to see you again, Pastor. Great to see you once again. So for this episode, I've yeah scheduled and we've finagled and worked hard to make this happen. Um, I'm yeah really excited to talk to a, a former member of my own congregation. Brian, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Brian. I came to Cork first in 2013 as a medical student. And uh, yeah, that was when I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, trying to figure my life through med school. And uh, I'm from Singapore. I I should have mentioned that from the very beginning. And when I first came to Ireland, I was looking for a church. I went on the Gospel Coalition website to look up their church directory. And I tried to find any kind of gospel-centered churches uh, in Cork City. And behold, Calvary Cork came up, and that's where, yeah, to make a long story short, that's where I met Mike, I met everyone else in Calvary Cork, and it has been a true blessing. Um, Ever since then, I've completed five years of medical school, and I just started work as a doctor back in Singapore as a house officer. So, that's basically it. (laughs) Yeah. I remember that first Sunday that you came, you arrived, you, you were not only punctual, you were very early, <laughs> maybe 15, 20 minutes, you know, but the, the worship team was, was, you know, still plucking away mm, yep. and I was probably stressing over slides or something like that. <laughs> and then 
you arrived. <laughs> and yeah. now, you know, five and a half years later, five and a half years later, here you are again. Yes, indeed. It has been a crazy five years and I've learned very much. Thank you very much for being my pastor for the last five years. And I'm very, very thankful. Uh, I hope that when you said I'm an ex-member of Calvary Cork, you mean ex in, in a sense that I'm just not here anymore. But I, I hope to be an honorary member mm. <laughs> when I'm still back. <laughs> I know it's not really good to hold on to church membership in that way, but... Ah. <laughs> well, we will temporarily pause your expulsion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so it, you said you've, you've mm. grown and, and learned a lot in the past five years. I think those are the, the words. Mm. But one of the things that you've grown in... Uh, I know that you've, um, I guess, begun teaching the Bible yes. um, while you were here. And I'd, I'd love if you could just tell us, like, how did that start? Um, that's a good question. In Singapore, I would consider myself quite blessed to have a great, um, great number of options for any kind of Bible teaching or Bible studies that I can, you know, attend on a weekly basis. However, here in Ireland, I found that Good, faithful, expository kind of Bible studies, they were hard to come by. Um, and folks here may not be as familiar with the kind of Bible studies that I was used to. Um, I saw this quite a lot, especially amongst Chinese people. I, I, I first started ministering amongst Chinese people from China uh, here in Cork many, uh, many years ago. And uh, these people, they... They were very new to the Bible. Uh, they had no conception or very little conception of who Jesus was or what he did or what he has come to do for us. And so my very first experience actually reading the Bible or teaching the Bible to someone is uh, is to this Chinese person by the name of Charlie. Uh, currently, he's my best friend. And uh, we had lots of <clears throat> arguments over the Bible <laughs> mm. um, over the number of years. But uh, I guess just to make a long story short, uh, a small little gathering of Chinese people on a Friday night, it turned out uh, with many other Bible studies, many other sermons later on. And I guess over the number of years, the Bible studies that uh, we have put together, I'm more of a Bible study person as compared to a sermon kind of person, as compared to every other person on the podcast, I mm. suppose. Mm. Um, and so I'm more used to a platform where there's a bit of interactions, lots of questions and answers uh, in, in a small gathered room as compared to uh, a talk-down kind of, um, I guess, a preaching from a pulpit experience. And yeah, I guess that is in summary of what's hap- what, how it all started. And if I can maybe just also mention uh, over the number of years, the Bible studies that I ended up leading, one of them is, of course, a Chinese Bible study meant for um, Chinese internationals. This took on eventually a more evangelistic uh, output. It started to uh, focus more on the person and the work of Jesus Christ in self-contained studies, not so much so uh, uh, teaching through a book of the Bible, but really as an evangelistic platform where Chinese people can just come in to actually hear the gospel week in, week out. Okay. The second Bible study that I was uh, was involved in is called The Meeting Place. Uh, this happened a few TMP. years ago. TMP <laughs> is, uh, is the acronym that we gave to it. People wonder, why do, we, why do we call the Bible study The Meeting Place? I mean, we didn't want it to just sound hipsterish. But um, yeah, we wanted a Bible study that people, young people, students, anywhere, anyone really can come to meet with the God of the Bible through His Word. So TMP or the meeting place is basically an expository kind of Bible study, and that is the one 
where I started learning much more about how do we teach through the Bible, through different books of the Bible, through the years that, I mean, TMP is still ongoing, but in the years that I've been around, uh, we've taught through Mark, we've taught through Genesis, well, not all of it, but mainly bits and pieces of it, but we've also managed to teach through the whole of Exodus. So that has been an an amazing experience over the last uh, uh, four to five years. Well, that's exciting. And yeah, I, I really think that the listeners to this podcast, they can learn from you um, in that um, you are a, a very like diligent and hard worker and very thoughtful. And again, you're doing all this stuff whilst also earning a medical degree. <laughs> well, yeah, let's not mention that. <laughs> well, well, it worked. Um, I, yeah, I have some, a couple questions. Yep. I, the first one is like, so you make a distinction between um, Bible study mm-hmm. teaching and sermon preaching. Yes. Um, what, what, what distinctions do you see? Well, in a sermon, um, a lot of the communication is one directional. Yeah. And chances are, I mean, in the experiences, in the few experiences that I've had I, as a preacher on the pulpit, I had no way to really gauge the understanding or the reception of the message from an audience's perspective. Okay. I mean, sometimes I would hear maybe a few laughs. I could underst- I could still get that they were still engaged right. with me. But to measure this engagement is actually much more uh, easily measured in a Bible study where you will be able to ask questions and people will be able to ask you questions. Mm-hmm. And there can be some kind of conversation that takes place uh, in Bible studies. So I guess that would be the main uh, distinction. Uh, the second distinction that I could make is, yeah, based on this idea of questioning and answer, Bible studies are best done when there's a question that's put out to the people attending the Bible studies and they start to rummage through their Bibles, they start to think about what they have heard and they try to put forth an answer. So the outcome of the Bible study is not only the product of the Bible study leader's preparation. Mm. In a way, that mm. a sermon is the product of basically the pastor's preparation. Sure. The Bible study is the product of everybody's input into the Bible study at the end of the day. And um, I think that is also something that's very uh, beautiful to actually see it coming together. And, but those are the main differences. Yeah. I enjoy both. Yeah, well, I, I gave you some kind of preliminary questions to warn you in advance. Yeah. But let's just disregard those. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what, 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 what can a, a, a good Bible study leader do mm. to make it as good as possible? You know, as, mm. as someone who primarily teaches and preaches myself, mm. you know, like, you're right. Mm. And, and of course, you're not, you know intentionally neglecting the work of the Holy Spirit and his, yeah. his involvement in kind of the preaching. But, but a lot of times sermons, it's a matter of, you know, what the preacher has put into it yes. and planned out. Yep. Um, whereas, yeah, the, an interactive nature of Bible study, mm. it could go anywhere. Yes, absolutely. Um, can I introduce four main principles? I knew you'd have a list. <laughs> four main principles. And these were the principles of values or goals, if you like to use that, that word. Uh, when I started learning how to prepare Bible studies, a very good friend of mine, uh, his name is Caleb. Uh, he is uh, back in Singapore and we he's used to actually running Bible study or Bible study leaders training, BSLTs, uh, mm-hmm. about twice a year. And during these trainings, he introduced four big concepts or four big goals in which people should gun forward or should you know aim to create Bible studies with. The first important criteria, the first important quality of any Bible study is that it must be, of course, accurate. Mm. We do not want to teach heresy. We do not want to teach anything that is unfaithful to the Word of God. So the first most uh, absolute criteria is that Bible studies ought to be accurate. And accuracy needs to be garnered or accuracy needs to be uh, gunned for via 
diligent hard work studying the scriptures, uh, reading up commentaries, uh, cross-referencing, checking to see whether the material that you are preparing is truly faithful to the Word of God. Because in my small experience, I know the number of times where I have sinfully said something in a Bible study that is of my opinion. And that's just merely my opinion. However, I said it um, by in a way that makes it seem that it is on equivalent level of okay. being of the Word of God. Okay. So being of the same level as the Word of God and my opinion, that's, ter- that's, that's a mistake. Right? I should never equate my mere opinion to be that of the Word of God. So Bible studies ought to be accurate. We, I just need to make sure that I distinguish what is merely my opinion and what is truthful to the Word of God. Yeah. So the first principle is that, um, that it must be accurate. Um, shall I carry on or do you want to jump in? No. Okay. The second important... This is your episode. <laughs> the second most important um, criteria is that Bible studies ought to be engaging. So when I say engaging, um, I know some Bible studies, uh, I'm not sure what kind of Bible studies you listeners have had before. Um, is it just like some of you just, okay, each of us take two verses and we'll go in a circle and we'll read the passage. Or is it just kind of Bible study where just one person does all the talking mm. and every, and you know, it seems that as if that person is talking to a wall. Uh, some Bible studies or many Bible studies may not seem very engaging or the people inside it they may not know why they are there eventually. The process of getting Bible studies, or helping Bible studies to really make it engaging for people, is the secret lies in the questions being asked. Um, Sometimes, I mean, what I found is that the worst kind of question that you ask in a Bible study, usually after you read the passage, and the Bible study leader will ask, all right, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> that is the worst question because that is such a broad question and you don't really show people where to look or what you're looking for. Um, to actually ask questions, I think what is a very good way is to use a scaffolding method to ask questions. What do I mean by scaffolding? Is that you actually start by low-level, entry-level questions and then you build up a case. Hmm. So, like, for example... Um, you have to ask, um, okay, let's think of a passage. Um, let's think of a passage. Is there any passage that uh, comes to mind? Um, well, my Bible's open uh, to 1 Thessalonians 3 right now, but one. that's not... <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Okay. why don't we, we talk about Mark chapter 1. Sure. Okay, Mark chapter 1 is, is a great chapter. Uh, that's something I'm f- slightly familiar with. So in Mark chapter 1, you look at what Jesus says in perhaps verse 14 and verse 15. And these are the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Here you have to ask the question. You, it will be very difficult to begin uh, the question on verses 14 and 15 by asking, okay, what does Jesus mean by asking these words? Okay, people will be slightly taken aback. Sure. You have to ask a very low entry-level question. Okay, so... What is Jesus saying or what are his priorities in Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15? What what does he say? He says here, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So if you were to section this out, Jesus has at least three priorities in this text. Firstly, the time is fulfilled. Jesus is saying here that right now the time has come for a new 
kind of era, a new kind of spiritual era that he himself is going to usher in. He brings in the completion of, of what God has promised. The kingdom of God is at hand. So what does this mean? The second priority that Jesus has is that the kingdom of God has now come uh, to earth in a very visible form. And this is how King Jesus himself, he ushers it in. The third priority is that he, how do you repent and believe in the gospel? So based on these three priorities, you can go forth and you can ask further questions. What does Jesus mean when the time is fulfilled? What is the fulfillment of what God has promised in the past? If you want to ask about the kingdom of God, you can then ask, what is the kingdom of God like? Is the kingdom of God still present today? The third priority you can ask, what, uh, the third priority is repent and believe in the gospel. You can ask, what does repentance and what does belief have anything got to do with the gospel? Why is it important or what does Jesus request or he commands us to turn from our sins? What, that is actually essentially repentance and to believe in the gospel. How, how, do, how do we have faith in, in Jesus or what does that even look like? So questions are a very effective way to get people to, to question the text or even interrogate the text, yeah. if you like, uh, to, start, to start to get them to think about, okay, how am I meant to understand this? Because I guess the, one of the main ways that we understand the Bible is to ask questions from the text. Sure. So essentially what we are doing in Bible studies is teaching people how to ask questions. Right. So accurate, engaging. Mm. The, sec the third one, sorry, that took a bit long time. The third one would be relevant. We need people to actually see how this text is an important part or how does this text take place and sh uh, how it takes place in their own lives. So when I don't want to use the word relevant saying that, oh, there are parts of the Bible that are not relevant. Right. I don't, I don't, want, I don't in intend to say that. Thanks for that clarity. Yeah, but what I want to say is that it's important to show people how this text comes alive in their own personal lives. Um, I think we got this concept from Brian Chappell's Christ-Centered Preaching. He speaks in that uh, book about the fallen condition focus. Right. Uh, do you hear anything about that? Yeah, we've mentioned it in previous oh, episodes. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. And I suppose listeners uh, can go to that episode to uh, uh, hear Ry about Riley it. Riley Taylor episode. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. So. So uh, if any of you have never heard the fallen condition focus before, essentially, Brian Chappell says that every single text in the Bible speaks to or speaks um, directly against a particular fallen condition focus of man. I'm not, this is not quoting him offhand. I, I mean, this is just my own rephrasing. It highlights one important part, uh, one important aspect of man's fallen condition. And it actually speaks about a potential redemptive element of how man can be, um, I guess, how Jesus, I suppose, can save mankind from this particular fallen condition. And it's important to identify this, the fallen condition focus of the text. It can be a particular sin, like adultery or idolatry. It can be a particular uh, heart condition, like a stubbornness or hardness of heart. Whatever it might be, every single text points forward to a particular fallen condition. This fallen condition helps us to find the warrant of the text. Okay, you might be wondering what exactly is the warrant of the text. To put it in simple terms, the warrant of the text is where this text places you under arrest. Where this text causes you to listen up and causes you to see, okay, God has something very, very important to say in my life here, right here, right now. And this is why this text is relevant to me. So that's the, the third most important um, 
principle. So to just to recap, the first important principle is to be accurate. Second, it, it must be engaging. Third, it must be relevant. And the fourth, it must be transformative. Transformative. Many Bible studies end up being some kind of information download, mm. right? some kind of info dump. Yeah. But we don't want to just aim for information. We really want to help people towards transformation. We want to see how the Word of God gets into their lives and to see how God's Word transforms people's lives. We don't want it to just be um, people becoming Bible nerds because we don't need Bible nerds. We want people who live out the truth and the beauty of the gospel in every single day of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the four main principles that I was taught by. Um... I will confess that <laughs> along the way, I have made a few separate adjustments. Even when I disciple young young people nowadays and how they lead the Bible, or how they teach the Bible, sorry, I ask them two very simple questions. And if you thought that, you know, those four principles were a little bit hard to understand, can I ask you, the listeners, two very simple questions when you preach a sermon or when you lead Bible studies or if you handle the Word of God in any particular form, there are two main questions that I will always ask myself and of others. Number one, are you being faithful to the word of God? And number two, is Jesus Christ magnified in the hearts and minds of your listeners? Um, those are the two main questions. Um, maybe you can pause the recording and have a think about your most recent uh, <laughs> Bible study. Okay, so we'll have like a Selah moment. <laughs> okay, Selah. Selah. Welcome back. <laughs> I hope that you, as you, yeah, queried yourself about those two questions. Uh, now back. So, so Brian, in, in your years of Bible teaching and preaching, mm-hmm. um, which you would say that the predominant has been these interactive Bible studies. Um, let me just ask you, a lot of times people are concerned about or, or wary of Bible studies mm. because, um, as we mentioned earlier, it's out of your control. Yep. It could go anywhere. Mm. Um, so, so what do you do when there's like a really dominant personality in the room? Or what do you do when there is um, just bad answers being given? Oh, now this is a difficult question. Yeah. And I don't mean to say that I have all the answers for this. Uh, chances are I would try to bring people back to the word of God. Usually I would try to pause the person uh, when I get a word in sometimes mm. some people have a very high pressured speech it's a bit hard to interject yeah. but I would try to just interrupt it sorry to interrupt um, but can you tell me where in the Bible do you get that from or where do you see that in the text Right. Um, if they are unable to provide a satisfactory answer I would like to suggest is it okay if we were to continue this conversation later on but right now what we are really concerned about is hearing from the Bible so that's what we're going to do is that okay and usually that helps things to kind of move along. Yeah. Secondly, um, I do not know. I mean, I have a somewhat domineering personality as well. <laughs> there is a dominant personality already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I would uh, I would be able usually to kind of interject here and there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, these situations require lots of wisdom. I don't think I have enough years of experience to know how to deal with such things. Um. But usually when these kind of things come about, I think it's important. An important principle is not to ignore people. Sure. Um, We don't want to let them just feel ignored or that their questions has just been dismissed. Yeah. But that these things can be addressed at a later time uh, to consider the rest of the group's um, interest at heart. Yeah. Or even when there is a, a bad 
answer given mm. or, you know, a slightly less than orthodox answer. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's important to find something to affirm yeah. to be like, you know what, like that is a truth, you know, yes. like what you're saying, like that, that reflects to, you know, some, mm. there's truth in that. Yeah. It's not all true. Yes. yes. Or, but, but that we, yeah, because you, you do want to care for mm. the whole group, mm. but then you also want to care for that person. Mm. And if they're not like being a wolf or a snake, or if they're mm. not trying to like, mm. the, you know, start some kind of cult right under yep. your nose. Yeah. <laughs> um, most people have, have good intentions and mm. you want to like affirm that good. Yes. But then give that kind of public gentle uh, qualifier. Yeah. 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 That's very true. Okay. So, Hey, when was the first time you taught the Bible the and, first and time, how did it come in about? a Bible study or in a sermon? Um, whatever you think is the more interesting story. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, going back to my good friend, Charlie. Okay. Okay. That was when I first ever opened the Bible in front of another human being. Right. Uh, and tried to explain what the, what the word of God meant. And I was trying to do it in Chinese. I mean, my second language is Chinese. I didn't grow up speaking it. I learned it in school and my Chinese is really terrible. That was when I tried to speak or try to utter what the Bible said using the little bit of Chinese that I knew. But I did not know. I mean, Charlie was getting very confused looks on his face um, every time I pronounced God in Chinese. Hmm. Uh, I later on found out that all the time that I was pronouncing God, I was actually calling God a peanut. Oh. Um, so the infinite great God, I have reduced him to a peanut. Hmm. I mean, in in Chinese, the name of God is described as Yehehua Shen. But I was calling God Yehe Hua Sheng, which means <laughs> oh, wow. God is a peanut. So that was the very first time. It was really scary. Uh, but that was when I had no structure, no experience. I did not know what Bible studies were about, what they were for, what they were meant to do, what is the goal. I had no idea how to do questions. I had no idea how to drive home the application. Completely no idea. But uh, very thankful. Uh, I'm very thankful towards uh, Pastor Mike who has helped me through the very first year leading Bible studies. Uh, I remember, Mike, where you you and I would sit together in UCC. That's my college. And we would actually talk about the week's Bible study yeah. and kind of process and think about, okay, how are we going to actually deliver this information? So that was uh, throughout the first year. And the very first time that... Um, I spoke from the pulpit was actually, you asked me something crazy at the end of my first year in college. Uh, I'm not sure whether you remember, but you asked me to preach um, through First Thessalonians 2. So uh, First Thessalonians 2, I mean, the church was going through the First Thessalonians series the first time. Mm. <laughs> then, <laughs> And um, I was assigned to that particular passage and I had never, ever preached before. I mean, I come from a church background back in Singapore where, you know, only an ordained minister can preach the Bible. And I I was so, like, uh, bewildered, I guess, about this entire concept of preaching a sermon. And so, um, I guess that was, that was my very first experience at the pulpit. Um, I purposely wore very baggy pants that day so that people would not see my knees shaking. Uh, <laughs> I was just so frightened. And the passage itself was um, was an interesting passage because it actually spoke about how Paul was uh, was as if he was a spiritual mother or a yeah. spiritual father of, or in, in a sense, towards the Thessalonian church. And I had no, no concept of being either. Um, yet, in that particular experience, um, one thing that actually helped me through that passage or helped me to preach that passage is not so much so my personal experience of being a spiritual mother or father, but actually having 
a spiritual mother and father, uh, their a care the care of an older uh, Christian uh, brother and sister to care for me, to really look after me and to provide me the mothering and the fathering that I would require for my spiritual life. That was modeled for me hmm. when I was back in Singapore, and that helped me to actually preach through the passage. When I was preparing for my sermon, I told this lady, um, this lady, uh, I would just address her as Auntie N. Auntie N, she uh, has been like my Bible study teacher, my Sunday school teacher ever since I was a young boy. And I, and I still experienced much of her spiritual mothering back in Singapore. I told her that I, that I was preaching my very first sermon and I was just very anxious. And she wrote me a very beautiful prayer that has, I guess, shaped a lot of things during that sermon, but also many other sermons that followed after that, I would revisit this prayer again and again, every now and then. Um, she, she wrote me this prayer that, that went a bit like this. Lord, help Brian to spend many quiet moments meditating upon First Thessalonians 2, listening and waiting upon you to speak to him. And as he does so, with humility, with hunger, with anticipation, speak, Father, words of teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, words of instruction, wisdom, and the beauty of God. Guide him to appropriate these words for himself. Open his eyes to see where and how in his own life he is to act first upon these words by faith before he brings them to others, so that when he does speak, he may speak with a clear conscience, a personal conviction and clarity because he has understood and applied your word to himself. Help him to be more inadequate in himself, hmm. but more than adequate in you. This was what Auntie Anne wrote to me, and I think it's a wonderful prayer, especially the last bit. Yeah. It says, help me, Lord, to be more inadequate in myself, but more than adequate in you. She reminded me that all good things and all support and all teachings and all revelation comes entirely from God, nothing from me. Um, so I'm thankful for this prayer to put it in right perspective. Wow. The other person who helped me a lot was actually Auntie Anne's husband. Uh, I will call him Uncle K. In fact, he doesn't like me to mention his name. He is one of the most humble men that I know personally. In fact, usually he would just request me, if ever I were to mention him in a public setting, he would just prefer to be described as a grateful sinner and nothing else. Oh. Um, Uncle K, he was like my spiritual father. And he still is. He still does Bible studies for me. He um, teaches me the Bible on a weekly basis, even in Singapore. He adjusts himself to my crazy doctor schedule in order to teach me the Bible. And he is a wonderful example of faithfulness, quiet humility, quiet servitude even where he serves people. So, I mean, at least in my first ex uh, sermon experience, the examples of mm. these two uh, individuals, they meant so much to me. And over the years, I suppose, uh, the examples of many others have actually impacted my life and actually helped me to see how the Word of God has just come alive. And I'm especially grateful for your good guidance and teachings, Pastor, for the last five years as well. Thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, that's very kind. So those were your first Bible teaching experiences. Mm -hmm. And then now, let's say five and a half years later, mm -hmm. um, what, what have you learned that you wish that you knew back then? Wow. 
<laughs> Where do I even start? Yeah, like what, what, what would you know? Again, you're not very old, right? Yes. Now. Yeah. But what would the older version of you mm. say to the younger version of you? If I only could say one sentence, it would be this: Brian, remember, even before you teach anyone else the word of God, you yourself must submit to the demands of the passage mm. first. Right. Um, so what do I mean by this is that many times I begin a Bible study or begin writing a sermon thinking that, oh, okay, how am I going to teach this? How am I going to, yeah. to bring this forward to yeah. others? But what I've learned and what Uncle K has always taught me is that how am I to submit to the demands of this passage first in my own life to let the text come alive in my own life first, yeah. even before I think about teaching others? Um, so that is one main thing. I would say many more things, so, but that is the single main thing. Yeah. And of course, you know, a really important verse for me in mm. this regard is Ezra 7.10. Mm. Um, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God, law mm. of the Lord and to do it. Yes. And to teach the statutes and rules in Israel. Yes. I mean, great, great. You know, first we have to study it. Then we have to do it. Mm. Then we get to teach it. Yes. And we don't want to hopscotch over those things mm. or leapfrog Absolutely. the personal obedience before yes. we're commanding corporate obedience from yeah. it. Um, okay. And uh, kind of our, the final question is like, so how do you prepare? So when you have mm. a, either a Bible study coming up or a sermon to prepare, um, what is your, your schedule like? Um, I've tried to synthesize my own, my own Bible study preparations into six main steps. Uh, and some of these steps have already been mentioned, so I'll go through it quite quickly. Uh, they all begin with the word look. So it's about perspective and it's about where do I start looking and which direction do I start looking. The first look uh, and the first step is to look up. Of course, we I look up to God, yeah. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit to guide uh, the, the reading of his word to uh, reveal what he wants to say or what he has already said and to reveal his true intention and his true meaning to me. So looking up involves a lot of prayer and, and looking to God for guidance. And of course, this look up is not like step number one and then I move on. Yeah. You know, yeah. Look, look up takes place at like every step mm. of the way, but I just, I, it always begins with prayer. The second step is then to look down. We look down at the word of God and we start to meditate and to dwell in the word, to start to question or, you know, when you read Bible, when you read the Bible, I mean, you are not just designing questions for a Bible study. You are actually questioning the Bible yourself and you formulate your own questions after a while. It, some of these questions eventually get into the Bible study. Some of them don't, but it helps you with interpreting the Bible. The second step is to uh, look down, you know, what is the big idea of the text? What are the verses that contribute to the big ideas? What is the central theme of the text? Are there any themes that unifies the text together? What are the various other sub-points or the sub-headers in the text? And what, how should we prioritize these things in the text? Is there one particular verse or one particular idea to summarize all things together? If I were to create a sermon a uh, uh, summary sentence how can I summarize it in less than 10 words I mean these are this is what I do when I uh, when I look down at the text okay uh, the process that I just described is actually if I use the acronym CUPS C-U-P-S C stands for centralize U is to unify P is to prioritize and S is to summarize so this CUPS is, is um, t it takes place when I am looking down at the text the third step is then to look back and look forward so when I say look back and look forward, it means that I'm reading the Bible in its context wow. and I'm actually looking how, what, is, what are the stories before or 
or what are the stories after and how does this particular text fit in with the rest of the Bible? I will start doing cross-references. I will start seeing other important dominant themes that begin in this text and is traced out throughout the rest of scripture. Or if I'm reading towards the end of the Bible, have has this theme been picked up earlier in the Bible or how has it evolved or how has it developed since then? That is looking back and looking forward. Um, and this is where I start hitting the commentaries as well. Okay. I, I have a slightly different view on commentaries. I tend to pick up commentaries a bit earlier in my sermon preparation uh, because I still am an inexperienced Bible teacher. I don't want to uh, get things too wrong too, mm. too quickly. So I would sometimes reach for a commentary usually around this step. Okay. So look up, look down, look back, look forward. I would then The fourth step is then to look to the cross to see in the life in the death and in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, how do these, how do the themes present in the text point forward to Christ? Because we want to make the Bible study or the sermon all about Him. He is the one whom we are giving all the glory to. The fifth step then is to look inside. And just now I spoke about the warrant. What is the warrant of the text and what is the fallen condition focus? I will start to question how does the themes in this text actually speak towards a fallen condition focus of in my heart? How does it speak towards a sinful uh, aspect of my life as a sinner? And how does the text actually bring forth any redemptive elements? I will look inside and seek then to submit myself to the demands of the text once I've understood it. And the sixth step, the last step is then I would to look around. Look around mm. means to actually to look at how am I going to apply this text yeah. in the lives of real the people. Pe- of real people, that's right. And when we think about application, we don't we, we don't want to get just a microscopic view of what application is like. We don't want it to just be, okay, I want to apply this in your personal life. But there can be greater applications to your work, to society, to your country, to your the surrounding nations around you, even to the world, globally, nationally. What, what are the applications of the text here? And um, those are the six main steps to yeah. look up, look down, Look back and look forward, look to the cross, look inside, and look around. Wow. And when do you do this? Um, Is it spread across a few different (laughs) days? Is this crammed into one afternoon? Usually across a few different days. Um, I'm thankful that I am not a pastor, so I don't have to uh, produce sermons week after week. Um, For Bible studies, that is uh, something that I would have to do week after week, but the the process is not as rigorous as, as that of a sermon preparation. Usually, I would do it over a few days, um, but for a sermon, I will try to give myself at least three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Three weeks, so like, would would the first half be looking up, and then the second half of the, of the first week be looking down? It actually, I mean, this uh, these are the six steps, but yes. they don't come in any particular it, order. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, you mentioned yeah. that look up continues yeah. throughout yes, every, every yes, layer. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it goes on and it takes place in different shapes and forms. Usually, by the, if I were to prepare a sermon, I would give myself three weeks. By the end of my first week, I would try to actually give myself a dry run of my sermon. Yeah. Like, I would just preach to myself and see how it sounds. Uh, and then I would realize, okay, this is bad. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then I would re- rework on it um, in the next two weeks. Yeah, but usually the night before any particular sermon... I would try to make sure that my sermon is already written. I, I try to not make any major adjustments to it on okay. the night before. Okay. Um, just so that I would just take the time the night before to just meditate and dwell upon God's word and to thank Him for His word. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, because there's an enjoyment to it yeah. that um, I think we might miss, or maybe even in in mm. these episodes of this podcast, we maybe miss the the joy. Yeah, we focus on the work. Yes, um, rightly so. We should, but also this is a great thing. Yes, um, we get to carve out time to just like read the Bible. Yes, and think about all of its implications. Oh, so that's, yes. that's a good thing. It's a huge joy, joy inexpressible, unspeakable joy. Yeah. Um, hey, anything else you want to talk about? Um. Nothing in particular. I would just like to encourage. Um, I mean, if you are a pastor or if you are used to preaching, why don't you try Bible study sometime? And if you are a Bible study leader, mm. why don't you try preaching sometime? Mm. I, I do not know what kind of um, uh, what kind of avenues or opportunities are there for you to dive into either one of these, but try to grow or sharpen your skills in both. Uh, you would find if you are an experienced Bible study leader that maybe interjecting a few more questions when you preach a sermon mm. will help to retain the um, the engagement of the audience. Or if you are an experienced preacher or teacher of the Bible from a pulpit, you would find that sometimes in Bible studies, you need to stand up and speak authoritatively. I mean by borrowed authority. Whenever we speak from the Bible, we are using borrowed authority. The authority is not from us. But you use the borrowed authority from the Bible and you lay it on people to say that this is what the Word of God says. And when you assert actually the truth of His Word into the lives and the hearts of people. But other than that, um, I am thankful for each and every one of you who are involved in some kind of ministry. Um, The ministry of the Word of God is certainly a very high calling. And I do not know where you listeners are from or what kind of, uh, what is the spiritual background in each of your various cities. But I would would like to say that I am praying for you. And I would like to encourage you to press on in the ministry of God's word. Because God's word would not return to him empty. It would not return to him void. Just as how God, this is uh, somewhere in Isaiah 55. Actually, let me flip open my Bible to, in case I, I butcher it. In Isaiah 55, let me just read a few verses from there before we close. Um, Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will not return to him empty. It will certainly bear much fruit and we can have hope and faith that he will, even when our efforts do not seem to be bearing fruit. Wow. Brian, would you pray for us? Of course. Can I use a prayer that I always open up my Bible studies with? Yeah. All right. Our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, tune our hearts to sing your grace. We are wretched, we are sinful to the core, yet we are loved and pursued intensely by the hound of heaven. Keep us close to your bosom, O God. We cry pardon for our men. Fight in us, O great God. Give us the fullness of godly grief that ever trembles and fears, yet ever trusts and depends wholly upon you. Grant that through the tears of self-despair that we will see even more clearly the brightness and the glories of the precious saving cross. And make it our delight not only to be chiseled, but to be separated from that old rock that we have been embedded in for so long. Lord, we pray that you will help us to walk with you in every minute today. In you, in deep communion. Under you, in joyful obedience. 
with you in dependent partnership, like you to reflect you and for you that we may please you. May we never run apart from you, ahead of you, or away from you. Lord, I thank you for all the prayers that you have answered, and I also thank you for the prayers that you have denied. Because your presence alone can satisfy all of our groaning pains. So we pray that you would abide in us as we abide in you, O gracious God. Let every single cell in our body just be saturated with you because you are our best thought in the day and in the night. For surely his abiding love overflows in me. Have all of us, Lord Jesus, so that we might have all of you. Amen. 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 Um, well, guys, uh, thank you so much uh, to those of you that already have signed up for our upcoming training weekend, which is taking place in San Diego on April 5th and 6th. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing you, perhaps meeting you, um, learning alongside you about what it means to study the Bible for ourselves and proclaim it publicly. Um, but yeah, so make sure that if you're considering coming along that you sign up now. The information is all on our website, expositorscollective.com. And here's a final thing. Um, over the past couple days, I've just been delighted at the, the private messages that we've been getting um, on the Instagram account and on the Facebook account. Um, not only are people saying nice things about the podcast, thank you, I appreciate that, but people are asking for advice. People are asking for feedback. People are asking for recommendations. And as much as I'm able to, I am just so happy and so thrilled uh, to be doing that, to be pointing people towards resources, um, both for sermon prep stuff, also regarding questions such as like funeral stuff. Um, so, I really want to say, hey, thanks. I, I love being accessible to you guys, but also um, get in touch. You know, maybe I don't know the answer. Maybe I do. Maybe I can point you towards um, a link or an article that might help you with your questions. But I really want this to not just be a monologue, as we've said at the beginning. Um, I hope that there can even be dialogue amongst us. So whether that looks like seeing each other face-to-face -face in San Diego in April, or just through a, a private message on Instagram, I really want to do what I can to help this current generation of Bible teachers be equipped, be encouraged, be confident um, as they step into the pulpit, or as they sit on the couch on Tuesday night with their friends and open the Bible and lead a discussion. Um, anyway, I'm rooting for you. Uh, thanks for listening, um, even all the way to the end. Really thank you for listening. Um, and look forward to, to um, next Tuesday for episode 39 of the Expositors Collective podcast. Mm -hmm.